<laughs> Welcome to the Constant Struggle. I'm Nicholas Watson. And I'm Brianne Watson. I didn't realize we were going full name today. Let's, Bri. In these serious times, I let's agree. class it up a bit. <laughs> I believe we shall, Nicholas. Yeah, we've got a great episode today that we recorded last week. Lovely, lovely vibes in this one, I think. Yeah, I can't believe it was just last week. I feel like it was a million years ago. Time has no meaning. It's a flat circle of COVID. It is something that we discuss in the episode. Mm-hmm. Bringing it back. Yeah. Uh, or putting it forward, whatever, That's or right. time. <laughs> Again, doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, but I guess before we launch into our episode with uh, Ophira Kaloff, a disabled comedian and uh, opera singer. <laughs> <laughs> you know yep. Uh, opera student. Opera student, yeah. Before we jump into that wonderful episode, uh, what, what, uh, let's talk about our own stuff. Uh, what have you been up to? I've been writing an opera. <laughs> Are you going to get Ophira to sing it for you? Sure will. <laughs> no, I, I've been doing zero of the writing, Brie. What so about... It's been, it's been rough. How about tank, tank filling? Tank filling? Oh, uh, I've been reading Maggie Atwood's uh, The Testaments. Oh, yeah. How's that? Depressing? Uh, so, so far, I'm like, why? Why is this a book? Because ah, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, we covered all this in... Uh, Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's, yeah. So we're just going back there. I haven't, hopefully there'll be a reason, but so far, not, not so, not so much. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. big Atwood fan. I mean, probably... if you enjoy that dystopic world, then <laughs> this is the, the nut for you. Oh, I was bummed up, bum, bummed up, bummed out about that. <laughs> and bummed up. And bummed up. I didn't uh, actually watch the TV show, but I did read the book. I read the book because I was like, well, I don't want to watch the TV show without reading the book. And now that I've read the book, I'm like, I don't know if I want to watch the TV show. It's dirk. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing... What have you been... Yeah. What are you doing, Bree? Like a, a bunch of self-tapes that amount to nothing. So that's oh. fun. Since you Yay. don't go into audition casting rooms anymore because of the COVID, it's all like self-tapes. Mm-hmm. I got one callback and then it didn't happen. So no, I wasn't, it wasn't even a callback. I was on hold, which is good. Because sometimes they're like, oh, it's, you're on hold if the other person we want can't do it. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> so that. So you got uh, like second place for that one, kind of. I guess. Or maybe third. I don't know. They don't tell you. Oh, okay. Multi-hold. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, I know it's been a while since we spoke, so like, uh, I read a good improv book called Pirate Robot Ninja. That I that sounds like fun. Are those like suggestions that people shouted at some point? No, the theory is that every improviser is either a pirate or a robot, and depending on which one you are, you should aim to be a ninja. Be the other. Uh, Oh, oh. If you can master the other, then you become a ninja. Is basically the idea. This sounds all terribly, terribly racist, but okay. What? No, it was delightful. Uh, Let's see what else. I've been doing some edits on my script, which for a while I was like, but now I had some chats with some helpful people and, uh, and I'm going to like slice it down a bunch to its. Okay, cool. Um, And maybe, yeah, maybe make it more than one episode. So. Yeah. I got to get my butt in gear for the writing because NaNoWriMo is just around the corner. That's true. And it's September. It's, you know, there's always a good vibe of starting over in September, which Mm. I think, speaking of starting, why don't we get to our episode (laughs) with Ophira Kaloff? Let's do that. Let's start the show. Yay. 
Welcome to The Constant Struggle. I'm Nick Watson. And I'm Bree Watson. Uh, we're here with a, a wonderful guest uh, this, I was going to say this week, but that would imply that we do this every week, which we do not. This month, uh, Ophira Kalop, uh, a wonderful performer, creator, uh, disabled rights activist, and just wonderful human being. Ophira, thank you so much for being here. I'm very excited to get to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me and also for saying those nice words about me. That's lovely. <laughs> uh, well, what can I, 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 I don't lie, you know? <laughs> How are you? I know that's like one of the questions you see online that you're like not supposed to ask people during a pandemic. How are you? Really? What? I mean, I think that's a pretty good question, actually. I think you're supposed to be like, how, what color is your spirit today? And, you know, that way you can get more of like, I'm feeling blue because X, Y, Z, or whatever the case may be. Um, <laughs> can it be obsidian it. with lightning bolts? Because that's mine all yeah, the time. It can. It can be. Um, so I, I'll ask again, how are you? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a shade of periwinkle. Um, <laughs> As within the blue family, of course, because there's a pandemic going on. But, you know, today, not bad. Not bad. I'm good. Had a good night's sleep. Uh, important. Super important. <laughs> yeah, you know, trekking along as one does <laughs> when the world's on fire. How about you two? I did not have a good night's sleep as I binged a whole bunch of pizza last night without meaning to. <laughs> It's and so I may never sleep again. It's so strange that you use the word binged as like it's intended. And I was like, oh, I haven't heard of this pizza show. <laughs> well, I only wanted to have like a slice or two, but then I had like the risotto balls, which I only wanted one, but I had three, just jammed a whole bunch of pizzas into my mouth. Uh, half a bottle of rosé, cut loose a little bit and paid the price. How are you feeling today? Uh. <laughs> good to know we're all in a good place. <laughs> <laughs> Ophira, why don't you, um, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get into becoming an artist? How did you, you know, because you don't just do comedy, you, uh, you write, you perform uh, com comedy. Did I say comedy at first? I meant, but you also sing is what I said. You also have uh, do. talented uh, so did you start off with the with more of the musical element or were you always like comedy? This is where I want to sort of head. This is, this is a very good question because you're right. I basically have an identity crisis with like, what do I do? Um, every time people ask me, I'm like, I'm an artist. And they're like, oh, like what kind of art? And I go, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I start. where do I begin? I'm like, I do things and stuff. Um, <laughs> I started out from the musical side of things. Uh, the very classic story of like, I was, uh, I think four years old and I saw my first musical and was just like that, like that's what I want to do. Um, and it's never, it. it was Beauty and the Beast. Nice. Oh, <laughs> in <laughs> London, like West End, it was magical. Um, and at the time I was a kid, I was such a shy kid that like I didn't speak in front of strangers. And so me announcing that I wanted to be a performer was uh, very funny to, um, to my family. But I just, I was like, no, this is it. I'm committed. 
and asks for voice lessons every single year, like every birthday, every holiday, that's all I wanted was, was voice lessons. And finally my parents caved and that was when I was about 10 years old. And oh, wow. as was evidenced by my like being stubborn through the early years of my childhood, it just stayed. Like I was like, and this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life now, uh, <laughs> which is a total you know, thing that a 10 year old should decide very healthy. Um, <laughs> I think it's important to have dreams, you know, at any age. You know? This is true. <laughs> That's a very kind way to, <laughs> to frame that. Um, but yeah, I was really focused primarily on opera just because my voice teacher was very into opera and felt that that was like the most advanced uh, form of singing. And I was like, most advanced, sign me up. Um, (laughs) You know, musical theater was kind of this like, you know, I get to do it as a treat here and there as like the fun little thing. Um, On my birthday, we sang through Disney songs, you know, (laughs) that was, (laughs) but overall it was like serious classical music. Um, And I did find throughout that whole time everyone always loved me being in the comedy roles. But because in my brain, and I loved comedy, I loved watching comedy, I loved doing it. But in my brain, I was so focused on opera that I thought comedy was, because I felt that comedy was a lesser art form, which looking back on it, I'm like, oh oh dear. No, you were right as a kid. (laughs) This is trash, what we do. (laughs) I mean, but also like, isn't it all trash? Um, <laughs> I think it's all, you know, it's all wonderful and it's also all trash. Um, so I would, I would feel really upset every time people would be like, you're very funny. I'd be like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> like, I'm a serious opera singer who sings dramatic roles. Um, and it wasn't until I went to university for opera performance. And then uh, that's kind of when Uh, I have, uh, my disability is something that I had my whole life, but when I was younger, I just kind of thought of it as shtick. Like I was, my body was just a bit different, uh, but I didn't, it didn't uh, have a huge impact on my day to day. And I certainly uh, didn't see myself as disabled in any way. I just saw myself as like a kind of unlucky kid who just had some medical things. Um, and then when I was in university, things got really bad all of a sudden, like I often couldn't speak, I couldn't walk, I couldn't read. Um, and that culminated in me like falling in the middle of a show, um, getting a concussion. And then I had to kind of fully, I was in a dark room for months. And that was the point when I started, as I was sort of grappling with the idea of disability and chronic illness and like, who was I if I wasn't a singer? Um, I just started writing random parody songs and I wrote a blog and started writing like comedic things there. I was like, oh, huh. Um, so for me, that's, that's, that was kind of my gateway then uh, into comedy. It's always been, been a mix of things. You were using it as like a, like a way to, to cope. Yeah. A way to cope and also a way, I think after I was a couple of years into being undiagnosed and uh, I just, I felt very lonely and I didn't understand what was going on. Um, And I started over time to realize writing a blog and starting, 
looking at social media and different Facebook groups of being like, oh, wait, there are so many people who are dealing with chronic illness and who are disabled. And I knew nothing about any of it. Um, and so I started doing comedy both as a way to cope personally, but also as a way to connect with people and put it out there of like, oh, hey, maybe these things that feel so terrible, like maybe we can laugh about them and maybe we can we can share that experience and maybe maybe it doesn't have to be so bad. That's awesome. And you're um, showing that it exists as well. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk about an underrepresented uh, <clears throat> voice in, in comedy. Everything. Everything, yeah. yeah. Uh, for those listeners who aren't familiar with, uh, with Ophira's, uh, I guess, disability, did you want to talk a little bit about it? Sure. Yeah. I always, uh, it's sort of an interesting thing because there's like the medical side of it, like the condition, but then there's also just the day-to-day life um, of disability. Um, I say that I'm multiply disabled, which means that uh, my disability comes up in a number of ways. I currently use a power wheelchair. Um, Sometimes I also use a combination of braces and a walker for short distances. Um, I wear a neck brace and have chronic pain and fatigue, but also I've spent a lot of time in hospitals, both for injuries and surgeries and complications, um, which, yeah, kind of goes under to me that umbrella of like multiply disabled, chronic uh, chronic illness, chronic pain, um, the works. Basically, <laughs> if someone has a symptom, I'm the person to call <laughs> because I've been, I've been through through most of it. I know the systems. <laughs> Look, I'm having a I'm having a minor surgery today. Oh, you need to talk to Ophira. She'll make she'll let you know <laughs> where to get the best treatment, where to get the best snacks. <laughs> <laughs> I just was uh, in in the car on a on a bit of a road trip with my parents and. Uh, my mom's blood pressure is a bit high. I'm like, oh, do you want one of my beta blockers? You know, my dad's, his back's hurting. And I'm like, oh, do you want some Voltaren? Or what about like some of this pain medication? <laughs> like, like I'm stocked. I'm ready. I was like, I have braces in my suitcase. You can borrow them. Like, you know. <laughs> You're a rolling pharmacy. It's true. <laughs> true. Awesome. And it's so, uh, I think it's so awesome that you've uh, dived into creating comedy that that reflects that right I had the pleasure of working with Ophira as a stage manager uh, on generally a hospital which was the sketch <laughs> review uh, that uh, you co-created uh, and and you it sounds like uh, there's a lot of other works that you're creating now uh, and that you've created that that put the sort of disability front and center uh, of the performance I saw the response for generally hospital okay I saw it was very supported bear like it was huge you guys won tons of awards i see you guys because you created it and i was just like putting turning the lights on and off. i mean you were for sure a part of it you also <laughs> helped with some of the shaping i remember just you being in the room you'd help punch things up <laughs> but yeah but, but but how do you feel the response has been i mean so generally hospital was for me it was the first time really putting putting something like that out there, especially in a comedic way. Um, and I think all of us on the show, even the idea of the show, I was so lucky. Uh, Grace uh, Grace Smith co-produced it. Um, and I really, 
I don't know that I would have been brave enough or it would have taken me a lot longer to be brave enough to put that forward. Um, but Grace really came along and she was like, no, yeah, this is great. <laughs> like, yes, this is a good idea. And I was like, okay, but are you sure? And she was like, it was like, it felt so decadent. It was like to be able to create a whole sketch review about th- something that I cared so much about uh, and then be able to like put musical comedy into it. It, it felt too decadent to be allowed. Um, and Grace I'm was- Speaking of like, I wish, um, you know, beginner stand-up comedies or comedians felt that way, but like, I think it's a little too decadent that I stand up and talk about my dick for the next five minutes. You know what I mean? Wouldn't that be nice? But you know, this at least is a very different and refreshing perspective. <laughs> It's true. You know what? It's because uh, I haven't spent my whole life uh, being told that (laughs) that, uh, my medical situation is interesting to people. And I guess they've spent their whole life being told that their dick is interesting to other people. You know? That note coming around to people? Like, (laughs) I'm like, that must be what society's saying. Otherwise, you know? Oh dear. Uh, That would be a monstrous podcast. So tell us about your dick. uh, I'm not listening to that podcast. I mean, I feel like it probably exists, but there's probably a bunch of them. Welcome to the Shaft Cast. Oh dear. Um, yeah yeah but with generally hospital uh then we created it and it was so fun because we were such a like we were all friends and supportive of each other in that way and just really like I always describe the process as like bubbling like champagne when you're just in a group and someone's like you know here's an idea oh and we can build on it like this and this and this and it just uh you get caught up and that's where to me a lot of the best uh material kind of comes from is that that energy um but then we all (laughs) about i think like a couple of weeks out of of the performance had that moment of being like oh wait like is anyone actually gonna like this (laughs) like first of all is anyone gonna buy a ticket um and then second of all how are they gonna feel about it because we were putting things on stage that works traditionally on stage and topics that people were very uncomfortable with um and so those are like both really good reasons to go and see it yeah yeah well this was the thing that that really blew us away um was that not only did people come but every like after the show the feedback was overwhelmingly people saying like oh my goodness how refreshing like I've never seen something like that. I didn't even realize that I was missing like that and seeing that. And now having had this experience, um, like people were thanking us, people were sharing their stories. Uh, We had a sketch about uh, being inside an MRI machine. And to this day, I still have people coming up to me um, at different events and saying like, oh my goodness, you're the person from that show. I just had to have an MRI and I thought of that sketch and like, you know, it made it not as scary because I was laughing because I was remembering that experience. So, yeah. They were laughing, they had to start over again. (laughs) I know. I was like, I hope you were laughing too hard (laughs) because you have to keep still. (laughs) But yeah, it was very, it kind of, blew all of us away, I think. Uh, but definitely me speaking for myself. I, 
Uh, it was this window into possibilities. Um, that's not to say that everything's been received well. Uh, there are some things, uh, some things that haven't, some things that just, sometimes when I'm on stage, uh, I get a lot of comments. I find that depending on the audience, people really respond to me differently. Um, and I just did a solo show, literally titanium that, uh, overall I was blown away by the feedback from the audience. Like it was really beautiful and warm. Uh, but I did get quite a scathing review. Uh, so, you know, what does, okay. What does that look like? Who's attacking (laughs) you there? Like, Uh, (laughs) I think, I'm I'm still kind of trying to think through it, uh, but I think often what happens, especially with me on stage, I'm a fairly bubbly person. I'm silly. I'm kind of campy in my humor. Um, And that was clocked in this review as being forced and fake. Um, And I think... (laughs) That is why... I don't like that. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that a lot of that comes down to the idea. And the other big critique uh, was that the whole piece was very disorienting. They found that, and those two things to me tie directly back into what it means to see a disabled person on stage. Um, yeah. Because especially people often expect me to be, um, to be sad on stage. I get that a lot, even in my comedy. Uh, I'll do a funny song and people afterwards will just say, oh, it was just so great to see you up there singing. (laughs) You know, what about all of those like puns that were in it or the content? Um, And so sometimes when people see me being so silly and lighthearted, um, they feel like it has to be forced in a way because there's no way that a disabled person could actually just be it's like uh, it's like you've sort of or people have sort of coded a response to you know a person in a wheelchair that it's anything that goes sort of challenges that is like uh, impossible can does not compute how how can she be in a wheelchair and also pleasant i don't you know you know also happy Well, this is the thing. Yeah, they want so they want pleasantness, uh, but not actual joy. It's like the suffering <laughs> gracefully, that kind of thing. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's all our movies, right? <laughs> if you think about it. Um, it's, you know, the stoic disabled person that people learn life lessons through. They're like, oh, if they can do it, so can I. <laughs> Which is not my narrative. No. <laughs> they did all of that and they can't walk. What's your excuse, asshole? <laughs> oh my goodness, though. What's your excuse situation? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, trust me, there are people with the same disability as me doing far more, and uh that's fine. <laughs> like, I can still sleep in in the morning and that's okay. Like we're all individuals. I, I do think it's awesome, though, uh, how you've sort of raised issues, certainly in the comedy community, about disability, right? You've challenged people in our community just based on the fact that so, a lot of the stages, I was going to say some stages, most stages, you can't get to, <laughs> right? That's, you know, that's huge. That's, uh, I think one of the first things you said to me was like, I like this show because I can come to it, you know? I'm like, oh, good. You know, and, and that stuck with me. So now 
when I try to book a show, I'm like, okay, well, who, who, who's not going to be able to, to access physically get into the building. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate you saying that because it's, it's funny. I kind of, I think I came to terms with, uh, with my disability identity at the same time as I was sort of coming, entering the comedy community. Um, I've used a wheelchair off and on for, I think, around seven years now. Uh, wheelchair, walker, cane, bed, the whole, the whole spectrum. I kind of go back and forth. Um, but when I first started comedy, I was, uh, I was just using braces and a cane. And so I didn't really, uh, accessibility wasn't the first thing on my mind at that point because I could do some stairs. I could never do the amount of stairs to get, uh, into a lot of the places, a lot of the theaters in Toronto, but I could do two of them specifically. And like, as an able-bodied person, they're tough to walk into. (laughs) I think about that all the time. I'm like, if anyone has the slightest injury or just like is not feeling great that day. If you sprain your ankle, you're not making it to the top floor at, uh, oh shoot, pardon? Okay. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) All those stairs, now I'm calling in. I I feel, I have a hard time getting into that place every day. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not their fault. I'm sure it's just like, like, you know, the space is there. They're they're not going out of their way to make it super inaccessible for humans to access. They're old buildings, you know. They're and I don't think disability was a concern at all in the whatever twenties when they uh, opened them. Uh, but I I just wanted to ask before we jump too far into it, what where did you start in comedy? Where did you start right at Second City, or did you do some stuff beforehand? So in terms of any formal stuff, uh, I started at Second City. Uh, before that, I had done, I was <laughs> writing those silly parody songs, uh, and I started writing little sketches and doing things on my own. Um, and then I, I started at Second City, and I started by signing up for improv and writing uh, at the exact same time, because there was a multi-class discount, <laughs> and it, <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> it lured me in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, they, uh, they got me. Uh, <laughs> good job, them. Um, <laughs> I really, like, at that point, the other thing that got me from Second City is that they said that if you missed classes, you could make up um, classes on another day of the week. Um, and that was a huge relief for me. I'd been so scared about signing up for anything because at that point, things were just very unpredictable for me. I was coming off of about two years of not leaving my bed um, and had just had surgery and was recovering. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, But seeing that I could have a bit of flexibility was was enough to be like, you know what, let's try. Um, I had also recently moved to Toronto and didn't really know anyone. So I was like, this seems... This seems like a gentle way in. Um, gentler would have been one class instead of two, for sure. But, you know, I think it was like 20, 20% off or something. I mean, I just, it really, it really was. Uh, where did you, where'd you move from? That point, I was moving from Ottawa. I kind of, so I grew up in Ottawa, except for a few years that I lived in London, England. And then 
Uh, I went to Vancouver for university and then I was injured and went back to Ottawa, but then I recovered a bit and went back to Vancouver and then I went back to Ottawa again <laughs> and then went from Ottawa to here. So it was, it was a bit of a, uh, a back you had such an Ottawa connection. Yeah. Maybe you did. Maybe I did not. I wonder. When did you leave Ottawa? I, so in my brain, I left Ottawa in 2011. Um, but then I did spend two years there. I just didn't leave my bed in those years. So I wasn't really, wasn't really in Ottawa. Were you studying in London or? Uh, that was when I was really young. Uh, so we were there for, uh, my dad did a brief stint as a diplomat there. Um, and my brother and I were lucky enough to get to, to spend, spend some years living there, which was really good. And probably very much planted the seed of the arts, <laughs> you know, London. Know that a place can inspire that? I don't know. I just don't think Welland, Ontario really sparked that. It was a magical place. What do you mean? <laughs> Closing down steel mills, general crime, alcohol. Ugh, it's all there. Sure, yeah. Although, I mean, that stuff exists in London too, I'm sure. I was going to say. <laughs> and then, okay, and then in Vancouver, what did you study in Vancouver? So that was when I was training in opera performance. Um, so I was at UBC at that point and very very opera focused it was a bachelor of music so all of my classes were even the like non-music classes were studying languages to sing opera better <laughs> oh yeah fair yeah. all of that so, like italian uh, italian german french. french yeah i am surprised to hear that there are like a, there's a couple people in the improv community that I could think of that have a background in opera. And I'm just like surprised by that. And that there was a, an opera specific improv show that existed for a while too. Yeah, I saw that. I wonder, cause to me in my brain, opera is so like, even when you breathe is prescribed. Uh, like everything is very, uh, when you train in opera, it's all about becoming, like, being able to follow the score, the music, your director, your coach to the best possible, uh, to the best of your ability. Um, and then you go into improv, which is the complete opposite in terms of instead of trying to follow what someone else has put out uh, out there for you, it's just getting in touch with your own instincts and connecting with the people around you in the moment. So I wonder if there's something there, like, like a yearning for, to see the other side. You're rebelling against it. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird because like Verdi was wicked, like so well known for riffing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Verdi. I wouldn't mind getting into like uh, the writing of General uh, Generally Hospital. Like how, how often did you guys do the show? And what specifics? Yeah, yeah. Like, I like the the nerdy part of this. Not like, oh, how fun was it performing? I was like, tell me about all the freaking hard work. Of it. <laughs> and it's called the constant struggle. And it is a struggle to work with, with people to coordinate schedules. Yeah, yeah, we don't, this show is not the happy ever after success <laughs> podcast. This is like, why does it suck doing the thing that we do? 
thing that we love. Why is it so hard and why do we do it? What's wrong with us that we do this? I mean, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So something, something from disability and the disability uh, community and disability justice that I feel really grateful for of knowing and, and how it's impacted my art is that um, it's all about creating space and being like, you know, everybody has different needs. How can we create a process that actually works? Uh, that actually works for everyone and doesn't hurt them and doesn't put them in, in positions of those long days that you just, you know, can't get through. Um, how, can, how can we make the process a bit better? And generally hospital was kind of the first experiment in that. Um, and then with subsequent projects, I've kind of learned things, taken, taken them from it, been like, hmm, we can do this a bit better, shift this. Um, but the nice thing about generally hospital, I think because of who we all were in the cast and, and the idea behind the show and what we were, were doing, we basically wrote the whole thing on my couch. <laughs> um, like it was very, at the beginning we kept trying to set up doodles, you know, and align everyone's schedules. And that was a nightmare. Like that's <laughs> really, everyone was so busy. Um, that so was COVID really would have worked out for you guys back then. <laughs> I mean, my style is COVID style. <laughs> like that, my, my work, uh, and the way that I work has not changed at all <laughs> with COVID. Um, other things changed a lot. I feel y'all not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So for Generally Hospital, we really, we started by all bringing forward, uh, different points of view. So we, before we even got started writing, because we didn't all know each other, uh, we would, we brought in a couple of people that one of us knew or someone that, someone knew that someone else knew who thought would be a good fit. Um, so we started by just having, uh, we had snacks and hung out and talked about our experiences with hospitals and just, it was about, I think two to three hours of just, just chatting, uh, about where we each were coming from, how we felt about it, um, why we wanted to do this, what we wanted to bring forward. Um, and then the next thing we did was all sit and bring forward different points of view and premises and different ideas. And we wrote like a huge, uh, whiteboard full of just a bunch of different ideas and then started looking at it and being like, oh, it looks like these two things are kind of similar. Like maybe, maybe this is, this could be one sketch or it looks like this, um, you know, this is a point of view that we feel really strongly about. Like, let's make sure to try to address it. Um, and then we kind of each went away. We'd do some writing on our own. Some things we did, there was a, a sketch, um, Tech Can't Keep It In, uh, that was about an ultrasound and just like a, a tech being so excited but not being able to say anything because, you know, you have to discuss your results with the doctor. Okay. Uh, <laughs> And that one was very much, uh, that was me and Sabrina, Sabrina Friedman, uh, that we were just, she had come over a bit early for one of our writing sessions and we were chatting about it and we just did bits back and forth to each other, joking around until, until it was a sketch, basically. Yeah. So a lot of, uh, a lot of the, 
sketches were were created in that that way of just in the moment joking around um and then there were some others that we went away and wrote out like grace wrote the herpes song um i wrote out there was a monologue called hashtag hospital glam uh that i just sat and wrote that myself um and so we really we had a mix of ways that we we formed the show and ended up with a lot more material than we actually could put in the show. We had to cut quite a number of, of sketches in and order to shape. Alternative. Yeah. Well, we we were definitely pleased that uh, it was that. I mean, it was hard to let go of some of them, but it was oh. a relief that that was our position as opposed to being like, what do we say? Oh, but um, if you have that many sketches left over, does that mean there's the potential for a generally hospital too? We certainly <laughs> talked about it. We were like, maybe it should be specifically hospital um, the next time. <laughs> <laughs> or some, but then I went ahead and made a show literally titanium. <laughs> I really, like, oh dear, I think I have a thing. Um, <laughs> But what I was going to say, because, you know, the constant struggle, um, <laughs> the things that were tricky in terms of the writing process, um, overall, I would say it was it was fairly smooth. But there were there were some issues in, as it always is, when you're writing about things that are so personal and that you have different experiences on, we had to have, I think, probably more than an average writer's room. We had a lot of just conversations about like this is where I'm coming from this is what I'm mm. trying to say um of just being able to get on the same page because if one person's looking at an issue as like oh this is uh I see this as like a bad thing and the other person's coming in and being like no I'm seeing this as like a funny thing um how do you how do you kind of come together and get on the same page and so yeah we spent a, I think the a huge part of our process was just talking to each other, like just sharing, sharing our perspectives and experiences so that then we could punch up each other's work and we could, um, we could help each other because until we actually knew. It's probably really good for the, for just for the group itself to know each other that well. For sure. It probably really helps to build trust in your cast uh and and i guess to know how to support one another if you know exactly where you're all coming from yeah well and it turns i was gonna say and sometimes in very intimate detail (laughs) (laughs) yes well and it turned out to be super important because that uh was the piece that i didn't really account for at first in writing I didn't think through um, performing all of the stuff that we wrote. <laughs> I, I, I was like, it'll happen. It'll happen. Um, and I didn't realize like fringe runs are brutal. Like they're really hard on your system. Uh, you have to get in and out of there so fast. Um, tech runs, at, like when you're dealing with tight timeframes, both for fringe and we also uh, did the show again at Toronto Sketch Fest and you have to go through so much within a short amount of time. And then for us, we were doing uh, a number of different uh, access measures, incorporating them in. So that added to what we had to do with uh, these tiny windows. And yeah. I think it, it was so important that all of us got 
very close because there were multiple shows that I was not in good shape. Um, and we were able to just kind of, uh, understands where each other was at and one person compensating for another. Um, and at Sketchfest, I, right before I was in some of the, I was in a real, real rough time. Um, and I did three full days of bed rest, um, right, right before the festival and everyone was here and rehearsing and I couldn't even sit up. So I was just lying flat and they were rehearsing in my in my little one bedroom apartment while I just like said my lines from the couch. Um, and they helped get me set up for being on bed rest. They brought me food. They like set up a cooler by my bed. Um, and somehow we all made it through the run. Man, it's called some pretty concentrated caffeine candies. <laughs> There were we there were uh, caffeinated chocolates that then graduated to just straight up caffeine pills. Uh, <laughs> it was and that, <laughs> well, that was the lesson that I took with me into literally titanium of being like, okay, <laughs> like that I created a show with Generally Hospital where I had to do so much, um, and I was like, how can I create a show that's a bit easier on my body that yeah. I don't have to take a bunch of caffeine pills to get through. <laughs> um, and that was kind of the, uh, the starting for literally titanium, uh, which, yeah. So it kind of, all of the, all of the shows, the process kind of, uh, I call it cripping the script, um, and cripping the process. Crip is being, uh, short for cripple, uh, sort of a reclamation of, uh, of that language. And I'm constantly trying to figure out new ways to crypt the script and make the process just more inclusive and less, less harmful. So many of our practices in the industry, whether you're disabled or not, um, are not, not good for us. <laughs> like, they're not, they're not nice. Yeah, even like the basic things of like when the shows are on, <laughs> like late at night, <laughs> you're, you're just completely out of rhythm with all of humanity. <laughs> There's no food for when you're done. The number of times that everyone ends up at McDonald's because it's just you're so hungry after a show and it's it's the only thing. It's all that's open. Yeah. Uh, With Literally Titanium, which came out of the uh, Buddies and Bad Times Emerging Creators Unit, was that, uh, how was that experience? That sounds very interesting. And I think a couple, like a couple comedians uh, went through that process that same year that you did well I guess that was last year it feels like a million years ago because time doesn't matter anymore but uh. yeah it was a century ago um, (laughs) for sure (laughs) um yeah so literally titanium itself I had actually honestly pretty much every single show that I've put up recently has been conceptualized during a hospital stay um I think generally hospital and literally titanium might have been the same one uh Generally hospital, I was, I was staying there and then Grace, uh, who co-produced it, came to visit me and I was telling her about like all of my stories and being like, I'm writing it down. I feel like this would make such a great sketch show. Ha ha ha. And she was like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it would. And I was like, wait, really? <laughs> and she was like, yes. Like you, you just said it. Like, yeah, it would. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and literally titanium at that same time I applied, it was part of the U of T foot festival, which is their festival of original theater. 
um, and their theme for the year was about, um, it was about bodies, um, and like disabled bodies and marginalized bodies and, and bodies in performance essentially. Um, and so I created, I, I applied with the short, uh, little like 10 to 15 minutes, uh, cabaret-esque piece, um, where I played my body as a character and it was getting its chance to complain about me and about my mind, <laughs> um, basically being like, this is what she puts me through. <laughs> like, I just want to sleep. Um, so that was, that was the kernel, uh, that literally titanium started from. And then I did that and it went well in a way that I wasn't really expecting. Uh, people were like, this is a very cool concept. Uh, and I was like, oh, huh, I thought I was- Came here being... to be bored, but you've entertained us. How <laughs> couple. <laughs> I mean, so we all go to theater with that expectation. Nap time. <laughs> like, oh, big yawn. <laughs> this play was horrible. I didn't sleep a wink. <laughs> I can't believe how entertained I was. <laughs> One star. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Half a star. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, like, it kept percolating, and then I applied to the Buddies and Bad Times Emerging Creators Unit um, that was done in collaboration with, uh, with B Current, and uh, so at the time, Catherine Hernandez was, uh, was leading the program, and that was a really cool thing uh, because it was a step uh, into theater, which... I feel like there is way too much of a separation in between comedy and theater. Mm. Um, it's not necessary <laughs> between like pretty much all live performing, uh, live performance mediums. Like, I feel like we just all can learn from each other. Like, I don't know why we work so hard to, to separate ourselves from each other. Um, especially because theater can be comedic and like comedy can be dark and comedy can be theatrical um so it was it was a neat experience to go to go into a theater space but I wasn't the only person coming from comedy uh Shohana Shohana Sharman was also uh in the program and they were very excited to have a comedy perspective there um especially an improv perspective so that was neat it was a small cohort and basically we all were developing our own projects throughout um and for me, as is uh, the story through most of my experiences and programs, I'm often the first uh, person going through programs who uses a wheelchair or a mobility device. And so uh, things come up, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, because uh, it's, it's just if it hasn't happened before, you don't necessarily know what barriers are there until someone comes up against it and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so that, that happens there. Uh, but I was lucky that, uh, the leader of the program, Catherine, uh, really, like really, really wanted to, to make this space, um, an open space and, uh, an accessible space. Um, so yeah, that, then the show kind of got turned into a, it was supposed to be 20 minutes, but I watched back and I definitely did 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Oops. Um, I guess I was a bit more dramatic. Uh, <laughs> I it's an illusion anyway. I think that's one thing we're learning. 
I mean, time is a social construct. Uh, Flat circle. Right. (laughs) I'm sticking to it. (laughs) So, yeah, then then from that, with that sort of 20 to 30-minute piece, um, that's what I applied to the next stage theater festival with um, to kind of take it to the, you know, the next stage. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's why it's... It's not just another clever name, Brie. (laughs) You mentioned I'm often, you're like, I'm often the first uh, person in a wheelchair to have to, you know, make the space. And I think that was for sure the fact at Second City, right? Yes. Yeah. There were a couple of people who were taking classes around the same time as me. Um, although our paths didn't cross, we were in the, in the stand up stream. Um, but I was for sure the first person to go through the conservatory program, uh, which, and then the big thing with, uh, conservatory as second city is that it has components of performing on the second city main stage. Um, and I was for sure, for sure the first person to do that, uh, because it fully wasn't accessible. So, uh, it was not, it was not possible, uh, before. Isn't that, I think that's amazing. Um, I just think because now we're, they're building a new space and, uh, this new space has all of this in mind, which maybe they wouldn't, I mean, they should have had in mind, but now they definitely have in mind because you are the first student to do it, you know? Uh, so because of you, tons of, uh, you know, performers in the future who use wheelchairs or who have different accessibility needs will be able to because because you were like, hey, I, I want to do this. We should be able to do this, you know? But I think that's great. I very much appreciate you <laughs> saying that. I, I like to, it's always tough to know uh, in certain situations, like what, uh, what your impact is. And it can be stressful because part of me thinks like, oh no, if I'm too pushy, then everyone's going to be like, ugh, you know, why bother? This is too difficult. Um, that's something that- I thought before. Less so now. Now I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that's because of how we're uh, raised as uh, as women. Because it's like, mm, don't make too much noise because then people won't like you and then they won't marry you. And then you won't, you know, like, uh we have to monitor our tone so that we don't appear too bitchy or whatever but this is you know this is something that I, is needed in our community 100 percent. we have we've had a couple decades of people moving towards accessibility in every aspect of society as well it's so it's you know it's not unheard of for them to like when they say accessibility it's not like what does this word mean accessibility it's like oh shit yeah how do we do that here yeah. And I mean, it goes beyond, uh, it's both like the accessibility to get on stage, but then it's like what stories are depicted and, yeah. uh, you know, what are we used to? The number of times that uh, audience members at first think that my neck brace or my wheelchair are props, um, even in Generally Hospital, which, you know, was a show that had so many sketches based off of my own experience, uh, that was still a comment that we got uh, of people wondering uh, if it was a prop because it's people just are so not used to um, seeing disabled folks on stage yeah. and seeing disabled folks playing characters or again like coming back to that thing of like being silly and goofy um, and taking up space in that way um, to the point that even like in improv scenes I where everything's made up uh, sometimes I'll be in 
uh, in the past I would be in scenes and people would kind of pause and be like, wait, you can't drive or like, wait, you can't do things. And I'd be like, you're sitting in a chair. <laughs> I at least have, you know, hydraulics here. <laughs> I remember, I think, did we take this say it was like a women in improv kind of workshop? And I remember you bringing that up and I was like, a, like, of course. Of course, you don't have to endow a person sitting in a wheelchair as sitting in a wheelchair. It's improv. You could be any, doing anything, be, being anywhere, you know, like, of course. Yes. Uh, we can all be mermaids, you yeah. know? <laughs> what? We can all or, be Yay! <laughs> you know? Even you. Get my shell bras out as soon as we're done. This is great. <laughs> Opera. Can we talk a bit more about the opera? Sure. Yeah, because when you're talking about being at school uh, in BC, uh, some of my English lit classes were in like the music, um, the music school at Western. And we'd be going by all the classical, like you'd hear someone playing the harp or there'd be some classical piano going and opera singing. And it was just like, uh, almost magical. <laughs> it's kind of like going to Hogwarts and seeing like the upperclassmen doing their their spells and stuff. Is just like this is delightful. <laughs> what was opera school like? Was it fun? <laughs> so like definitely that sense of magic um, when you just go by all of those practice rooms and hear snippets of what everyone's working on. Um, it's for sure that feeling is incredible. Um, but then when you are in a practice room <laughs> uh, and yeah. knowing that everyone who walks by can hear you, um, all of a sudden, uh, that sometimes feels a little less magical. Um, I think a thing that, uh, that people don't realize about, I guess the arts in general is just how much work it is, like how yeah. much time. Um, and so for us, like the schedule was when I think back on it now, and it's funny because now my whole thing is about like rest and like let people mm. like take the time they need and accessibility and, uh, you know, finding, finding a gentler way to do things is in literally titanium. I took a nap on stage, essentially. Like I tilted my wheelchair back and just took a rest. <laughs> um, whereas in, in opera school, like my first class was at 8 a.m., we went solidly until I think around four and then had to rush to rehearsals for the, for the productions mm. we were doing uh, upper years those rehearsals were part of their classes, but yeah. uh, in your first years, they were extra on top of your classes. And then we're often in rehearsals until around 10 and then somehow had to find time to practice our own material as well as practice the material for the shows um, I remember I was never back at my residence in time to eat food. Uh, it would always close before. So I like had a collection of canned soups that I'd like have late at night for dinner. Awesome. Um, and then like we'd all be doing our homework like super late at night for classes. Um, and what was nice is that it, we weren't alone, right? So it's this cohort going through the process with you. Um, that comes with all of the like tension and drama of spending all your time with like five people, but also the community that comes with it um, and the support. We we test each other and uh, for our uh, whatever you know pop quizzes we'd have in the classes that we didn't have time to properly study for. Um, but it was definitely it was everything. Uh, it was everything that you 
thought about for the entire day from the moment you woke up to the moment that you like collapsed at night. Yeah, like like it's super physical as well, like belting yes. out those notes. And I was just uh, when you're saying that about doing your homework, I can imagine like going into a common room where people are doing math and you're like belting out Lab OM right into their faces. <laughs> Well, I mean, we'd be, when people were doing math, we were doing like our music technology course or music or harmony or theory. Me, my mom. Um, <laughs> along with ear trading. Um, <laughs> all of that. Um, anything we made noise for, we did in the practice rooms. But uh, we also had a lot of music history was a class. Um, oh, cool. So we also had all of those plus the languages and core competency courses and uh um like English literature and things like that I loved it like I truly truly loved it um I was a kid who likes to always be programmed I loved music so much I loved pretty much all the courses like music theory I really enjoyed most people hate it uh but I loved it it is (laughs) I was lucky I went into it like I had done some classes before going in so it wasn't, uh, I had a little bit of a head start. Thank goodness. Otherwise, uh, I would have really drowned. Um, the like music history, I like, I'm such a, a history nerd, or at least uh, at the time I soaked it all up. Um, and then the singing and the music and working with these amazing people, uh, it definitely, yeah, looking back on it, I'm like, I don't know how I both did it and how I liked it. Um, but at the time, <laughs> at the time, I loved it. Did you, were you able to finish the program? No, no. Uh, that was really, at the time, super devastating for me. Because uh, my whole life was that, like, all I wanted was to to be an opera singer. And uh, I actually fell during an opera on stage, like dressed as a nun. Like it was very dramatic. But I had been for an opera. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was a nun during the French Revolution, so you know, high stakes, Um, (laughs) which is very appropriate for an opera. Um, We're like, it makes sense. She fell down. Oh yeah, no, we were being beheaded at the time. Too soon. Yours is still on. (laughs) Not five. Get back up. Yeah, you're like, oh, your light didn't go yet. (laughs) And you're like, it has. Like, ah, the time is up. (laughs) Improvs, mfs. (laughs) Yes, and. Yeah, so after that, like, I I kept trying, I was, like, cutting down courses, seeing, like, it'll just take me longer, but I'll get through it, and it'll be okay. Um, It got to the point that every time I sang uh, high notes, I passed out, and so my voice teacher was like, you can't come back here, like, I'm scared. Um, And I was like, yeah, no, I get it, but also, (laughs) I'm committed, (laughs) like, I'm gonna do it. Um, which is why, why you're I, putting on a helmet, you'll see <laughs> <laughs> all of the padding, yeah. <laughs> Just practice in a um, a in, a, <laughs> in a bubble of styrofoam, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. That's why, whenever uh, people tell me about how they just like ch- changed career paths of their own volition, I think it's incredible because I had to be forced off of mine and then look around and be like, okay, what can I do? Where am I at? Mm. 
and ultimately I'm very proud and like very happy about uh, the kinds of things I'm doing now, although we already established, I don't know what I'm doing, uh, but I like it. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but uh, I enjoy it. <laughs> but out your own trail. That's noble. <laughs> the French I mean, revolutionists, revolutionaries would be very proud. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, I mean, you, I still see you sing on, uh, on Instagram. Um, do you think, uh, like, a sh- incorporating parts of opera with your performance is that something that I mean? It's a, I think it's a, a cool way to continue what you loved, but but infusing it with something that's more manageable. Yeah. So at the beginning in my brain, I was like opera and comedy are completely separate. And uh, my opera, like all of my training in opera, I was like, this has absolutely no bearing on who, who I am now as a comedian. It's like wasted time, gone, vanished, oh. like <laughs> I wouldn't even talk about it. Like I didn't even tell people that that was my background. I didn't put it on my resume. I was like, it's, it's like, it's a whole different thing. It's not even relevant. Um, and then about two years ago, uh, I started, I had said something in passing to someone and they were like, uh, this is, <laughs> this is like you trained to, like at a very high performance level for most of your life. <laughs> um, this is very relevant to <laughs> what you're doing now. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, huh. I, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so in literally titanium i incorporated a bit with opera in it um and it was such a and that was um alia Razul, who was also part of uh generally hospital and then uh helped produce literally titanium um and is also a very talented human in her own right uh but she she encouraged me. I had showed her, we were just hanging out and I showed her an old video of me singing opera. Um, and she was like, Oh my God, <laughs> like this, she was like, this has to be part of your show. I was talking about how opera is so physical. It's the body. Um, but you almost have to disassociate when you sing opera because your body has to stay relaxed while your face is like, while you have to portray that you're feeling these intense emotions but in order to sing properly and help in a healthy way and not, um, not harm your vocal cords, you can't tense up. Um, and so I was talking about that kind of, uh, that interesting process. And she was like, this, like, that's what you're like, you're doing a whole show about your body and minds and them being separate and connected. And you're (laughs) like, she was like, what are, why isn't this in your show? Um, and so I, that was the first time putting it in, uh, and it was a comedic bit, but I, I sang opera and went back and forth from opera to um, to speaking, and that was kind of my window. And I'm still I'm still figuring out where it all fits. But I have accepted the fact that I'm a giant music nerd and I'm also a comedy nerd, and that's okay. <laughs> Both yeah. of those things can exist. Yeah. And I'm disabled, all three at once. <laughs> what a combo! What a fun combo! <laughs> <laughs> such a unique voice you know like I, I again i'm going back to the straight white men who talk about their dicks in stand-up comedy like who whose story would you rather hear you know who's gonna have the more interesting point of view i feel uh, conflicted and challenged by this <laughs> you uh, do what uh, i guess you yeah you were saying you currently have something you were saying off 
the recording that you currently have a show running at uh, on Bad Dog TV, which is what Bad Dog has, uh, Bad Dog sort of solution to the pandemic right now. Yeah, maybe we should talk about what Bad Dog TV is and how to go to it, as I've not heard of this Bad Dog TV you speak of. <laughs> I'm going to send that to Ophira's court right now. <laughs> wow. Uh, Bad Dog TV is basically very soon after uh, everything had to be shut down. I think Coco, Coco Galore, who is uh, the current artistic director of Bad Dog Theater Company, uh, decided to launch a YouTube channel. And there's shows every every day of the week, uh, two shows a day. So there's afternoon shows that are at 4.30. And then in the evening, there's always a show that's either at 9 or 9.30. Mondays and Tuesdays start at 9. And then Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays at 9.30. Um, and they're all... They're all live shows, uh, but they they kind of span. There, there's a lot of different types of shows. So there's two that are a bit more traditional improv that have been adapted for the online world. Um, my show is kind of kind of sort of a talk show esque uh, mm-hmm. situation, a little uh, a relaxed talk show, <laughs> a slumber party of a talk show. Um, there's yours, other. Is yours, so yours is called Slumber Party. <laughs> Mine is called Slumber Party. <laughs> um, is it one of the later ones? I guess it makes sense that it would be one of the later ones. Yeah, it's every second Tuesday at 9 p.m., uh, which honestly is like, <laughs> for some reason, even though I stay up until like 2 a.m. most days, every time at Slumber Party, I always find myself falling asleep before the show. Always have to set an alarm to wake up. <laughs> Brilliant. The energy of having to do a show. We're not used to it anymore. It's true. My brain is just like, and now, like, I prepped, I set up my lighting, and my brain's like, and now we go to sleep. Like, no, 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 no. (laughs) It's a show. It's a show. (laughs) But it's great because, yeah, it's on this YouTube channel. It's a live show. And so there's comments that are happening live. Um, Is that good? Well, this is the thing. At first, I thought it would not be. Um, I thought that, first of all, no one would comment. And I thought if they did, it would be distracting because there's a bit of a delay. um, Mm. And it it just wouldn't really line up. But if anything, I found some shows, there's sort of more engaged, uh, like people type more versus uh, others less. But I find that when people do, it it feels like an audience. Um, It kind of gives me that post-show buzz in the same way because people are interacting and reacting and uh, just catching on to things and cracking their own jokes, (laughs) which is a very unique experience because in in a theater, I do a lot of relaxed performance. (laughs) That's called heckling. (laughs) Well, this is the thing, right? (laughs) So often in comedy, that's heckling um, and it is specifically geared towards messing you up. Um, like it's not, it's not generally well-meaning or well-intentioned. Um, or, but I, my shows often I do relaxed performances, which is where I tell people to make noise if they need to. Um, but I find that sort of as an accessibility thing. Uh, but I find that people are really hesitant to do that because they're watching the show and they feel that that's distracting and they feel they do. They associate it with heckling, which is, you know, not quote-unquote polite theater etiquette um whereas <laughs> fair way to put that <laughs> yeah. Yeah. diplomatic way of putting that for sure. 
I want to know what positive heckling would be at a show now. Like, if you're speaking an opera, it's like, that was great. (laughs) It's true. I had at one of my shows for literally Titanium, people actually took advantage of the relaxed performance. Just a couple of people. Um, But they would. Like, I sang opera, and one person was just like, oh, wow, that's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like thank you so much. Um, or like I w- went to drink water and cracked a joke about it. And one of them, like just jokingly, uh, cause I, I would do this thing of, you know, you know, water, you know, I'm, I'm thirsty. So I'm going to drink water. Cheers. Like to you. And one person was just like, how do we know there's water in there? Um, like, ah. <laughs> just kind of participating. Um, or I'd ask like a rhetorical question and people would like shout out the answer. Um, and I'd be like, thank you. Um, maybe. <laughs> that might be right. I'm going to go in a different direction, but like, yeah, that, that's also a viable option. Um, so in, in these online shows and with the chat, it almost feels it's a little bit of that feeling, uh, but it's it doesn't interrupt you. So I, I look at the chat when I want to, um, and if I'm in the middle of something, then I won't. Uh, but I can look, I can ask a question, I can open it up for people to ask questions um, and and talk about that. And I've noticed in most of the shows on Bad Dog TV that the chat function has just been like added a different dimension that I don't think. I don't, I certainly didn't anticipate it. Um, and I don't think many people did. When you're a performer, do you see like, is there like the little like hearts that start floating up your screen and stuff like so that? That depends on the platform. Uh, I did an Instagram live show for buddies and bad times. And on that, you see the hearts float up. Very validating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, oh, good. That joke land. Or <laughs> someone's it- <laughs> desperately trying to click out of the thing and struggling to get out <laughs> and you're like you know what i'll take it because um, <laughs> it's true like when you crack a joke and there isn't that laughter like when i did a solo i think it was a half hour thing for or 40 minutes for for buddies and i was singing songs and cracking jokes and it's certainly something to get used to of like you make a joke and then just have to move right along because oh. you're not <laughs> the delay is too long to get people's like ha 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 um and after singing, like, and this is a little bit embarrassing to admit, but like, you're used to applause after you sing, and that gives you the chance to catch your breath. Uh, mm-hmm. But when you're singing and there's no applause, you have to like do the end of the note, and then just somehow try to gracefully catch your breath while being like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, like on to the next. Mute, 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 mute. But uh, with with a talk show, with having another person, what I found is that I just treat my guests as, as the audience, and then I act as the audience for for my guest. Um, so it it creates that like we're joking back and forth, we're talking, um, and I find because I'm a performer that really gauges the energy of an audience. Um, but I can just do that with whoever I'm working with. When I bring someone on, I can see what, if they want to talk about something a bit more serious, we'll go there. If they're being silly, then great. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll go in that direction. Are your guests typically like bad dog improvisers? Is that sort of the pool that you're going into or is it, uh, you know, what, what, I was gonna say, what kind of guests? <laughs> <laughs> what 
type of humans. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, so far, it's been some people, some people uh, within the comedy community and some people who are not. Uh, for this show, I'm doing a show on Tuesday and I'm just, I'm bringing a friend of mine that I did improv with, uh, but he doesn't improvise anymore. Um, but he just does a lot of really cool things and he's one of the, the funniest people that I know. Uh, so I figured it would just be fun to bring him on and have a slumber party with him. Um, <laughs> what a cute <yeah>. concept. <laughs> I know it's hard to sort of plan for anything going forward, but did you have anything, any projects in the works for, you know, when, when we're allowed to gather again? <laughs> you know, I have a couple, but a, a big thing that I am working through right now is <laughs> trying to, to see a way forward that is not based on gathering again. Um, just because I think, I think even when, because right now people are, are already starting to do some shows and venues with limited capacity and, and different measures in place. Um, but as a disabled high-risk person, that's, <laughs> like, that's so oh, far. Breathers. <laughs> right? Like it's just so far from being on my radar. And that means that it's so far from being on the radar for a lot of the people that I, I create content for and people who I work with. And hypochondriacs. Um, well which you know if this pandemic hasn't made all of us edge in that direction at least there's a Um, lean (laughs) a little tilt of humanity (laughs) so i'm kind of trying to see a way forward that's not centered on the idea of people being able to be together in person and it's a little bit weird and floaty but we'll see in us in some ways exciting because you know, accessibility is hard, going out and about is hard, pandemic or not. So it feels good to be problem solving in that realm. Yeah. Yeah. A new frontier. Yeah. Which is great. Uh, okay, we, I feel like we've tapped on some of these issues. Of course, the, the show is called The Constant Struggle. <laughs> are there any struggles in particular that you are dealing with? that sort of have impacted your, your, um, I don't know, we talked, you know, anything, I don't know, even, uh, I know we talk a lot about disability, but, but anything even just not specifically disability related, but, but, uh, general than, artsy struggles. Yeah. General. Yeah. Struggles. Yeah. I mean, I guess for me, and it does, it ties a bit with disability, but also, also beyond, um, it's just sharpens because of disability for me, I think, is mm. that um, my experience, I have no, I have no baseline. Um, I have nothing. So in terms of my, my ability and what I can do, it's constantly changing and it changes really dramatically. Um, and I think to a certain extent, that's true for all of us, especially if this pandemic has taught us anything, is that things can change uh, very <laughs> you know, affecting all parts of your life. And to me, that's kind of reflected in my art a little bit. I feel like I said earlier about comedy, uh, the idea that it feels weird to separate uh, all of these different mediums. And I think something that I'm, I'm always like constantly struggling with uh, in, 
in that way <laughs> is is figuring out how to be comfortable with the flux of it all um the idea that i move between genres and i move between being able to go out and perform and do like an hour-long show and not get out of bed um, and those things can happen within the same month. Um, they can even happen within the same week. Um, and be hospitalized and then be in theaters all day. Mm. Um, and just finding finding a place in my artistic practice where that's not only okay, but part of it, where it's embraced. And I think often our, the industry is so focused, and I understand for the sake of for example, grants, you have to have categories to understand what things are. When people write about things, like they want to know, like, what's the genre? What's the structure? Yeah. Like, what is it? Um, and I've spent a lot of time feeling really, really stressed about like, oh, I just have to pick a thing and commit to it. And that, that has to be it. And what I'm trying to come to terms with in myself is that like, I don't really fit into any of those I don't know if anyone does perfectly, um, but I, I know for sure that I don't. And maybe it's okay. <laughs> maybe it's okay to kind of float around, uh, do what you're excited about when you're in, in that space, do what you can do when you're in that space. Um, and then when you can't, or when you have to shift and do something different, that's not, that's not making you any less of an artist. That's just, if anything, that's the mark of an artist as someone who's able to to adapt and be flexible in that way. I think very much since the dawn of the internet and multimedia and stuff, that's been growing more and more like every year. It's so interesting, especially in comedy specifically, that they're like, choose, you're either a stand-up, an improviser, or a sketch comedian, nothing yeah. else. Then add things like, well, actually, I sing, you know, opera level, and I'm, you know, I'm also, I can't come to these spaces where comedy happens often. So I think it's, imp I think it's, that's huge. And like you said, a mark of an artist to be able to, we're not all, if we all fit in these boxes, then what would the point be? It wouldn't be interesting. Uh, yeah. I, it, it, we, we should be embracing the sort of flow in and out of the different kind of creative spaces why does it yeah. need to be so boxed in and i think that's also probably what's driving the uh the i don't know i don't know if the demand is the right word but like multiple points of view are just exploding everywhere in all across the media's media it's like finally, yeah. <laughs> finally we can hear points of view that are different than just you know yeah relatively rich because the yeah. thing about me is like the white dude i'm like well what am what possible possible thing can i add and what i've been what i focus on is my specifics my locality of like like growing up in welland like all the things that don't get reflected often is what, kind of my job to to bring up yeah um, the leaning on the things that have been said over and over again and reinforced you know uh, try i mean uh, for me you try to go against that as much as you can not just for entertainment value like you want to make things uh like new experiences but also 
um, a lot of them are harmful. There's a lot of, obviously the patriarchy hasn't worked out super great for people who aren't powerful men. <laughs> so, you know, like maybe uh, take a shot at it every once in a while. Yeah, I think that's our job as allies uh, to write our, I mean, you're not gonna write somebody else's point of view uh no but yeah i yeah but they should still be showing up somewhere in your book or or whatever you're creating at least challenge what is problematic about the sort of status quo yeah like i've i've got two books i'm working on and i'm just coming into our discussion today i've realized i have like no characters with disability i don't think and i'm like well in your so I was I I was uh, I was participating in the our city on our stages last whatever two weeks ago and there was another like you've had so many like like bomb moments for my brain where you're like everybody's gonna be disabled at some point where you're like just because you're not disabled now doesn't mean it's not gonna happen like eventually oh. you're not gonna be able to walk because you're gonna be an older person old you know? or have an accident or, or... have something yeah, yeah. This, this, this shouldn't be like. The, your, the default all the time like everybody eventually will have to come into contact with health concerns and it was like yeah, of course <laughs> you know <laughs> uh so yeah it's also like society doesn't like to deal with things it sees as negative as well like like death people don't like to talk about the fact that you're going to get old and die someday but like if you do that's you know it's gonna happen and it's also one of like the most beautiful parts of existing it's, it's like the shit is limited yeah yeah i mean i always think it's so like i agree i think we we shy away from from things that we perceive to be negative and it's not to say that like for example illness like i experience a lot of pain and mm. that's i'm not gonna say that oh there's a silver lining in pain like no of course not like pain is is awful it's really frustrating um but my full experience as a disabled person is not all pain. Um, I have learned so much through connecting with community. Um, I feel about like my life and myself the way that everybody feels in yeah. the sense of like, there's some shitty things and there's some like cool and exciting things and it's complex and uh, you know, which is the human experience. And so much of what's been the hardest for me has been other people's reactions to me. Um, and so much like when I see um, elder family members and see them struggling with just the concept of getting older and the idea that they can't do things the same way, that makes me so sad because I think that's a failing of us. Um, and particularly as artists, when we when we don't show that you can be someone who like can't go out and kayak, but you still can have a full happy life and be uh, loved and valued and, and feel good about yourself. It's hard to sell cars doing that though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is a good point. <laughs> this is perhaps an insurmountable point. I don't know. I don't know what we can do. They should, like they need to have car commercials about driving into the doctors to get your hip looked after. <laughs> Like, that looks like a really comfortable car to be in after I've had my hemorrhoid surgery. You know what I mean? Like, very important. <laughs> These cushions are so soft. Oh. No more donuts. Here's the car. 
around the, the slogan, Toyota Yaris. <laughs> the new Toyota Ring of Fire. <laughs> Johnny Cash playing in the background, sells itself. The idea of, of laughing about things that are always so serious, I think is, I think that's revolutionary. I, I mean, I love dark humor. It's where I live. <laughs> and it's, it's right there. Yeah. To me, it's like that subtle shift in between, because I can't tell you how many freaking Stephen Hawking jokes I hear. Um, <laughs> and it's like that Ooh. subtle sh- shift in between like uh, making fun of the mm. experience of disability to like embracing it. And then there's such a wealth. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like there's so much there. Everybody's got experiences with everybody dies you know you're that generally yeah. hospital showed that to a small degree you know that everybody has stories uncomfortable medical kind of stuff and we might as well talk about it why why shy away we all deal with this stuff at some point or another if we haven't already we will in the future um so we may as well talk about it yeah. it makes it yeah. you know especially for things when the experience itself is going to be hard why do we have to deal with societal stigma on top of that? <laughs> like the experience is hard enough. Yeah. Why can't, you know, let's not make it harder. And, and, and so, so many, like you mentioned the importance of community. So many other people have got to go through it as well. Wouldn't it, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it easier to, to come together instead of to shun one another about the sort of garbage <laughs> circumstances we have to go through sometimes. <laughs> <sighs> 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 Well, insightful stuff. Mm. I was just thinking like uh, comedy is pain plus timing, right? Uh, it's uh, tragedy plus time oh, equals tragedy. comedy. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. general for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I always look at that, that equation. And at first when I saw it, I was like, yes, wow, like amazing. Um, now I think that sometimes we have different definitions of what tragedy is Mm. um and I think that's important to to kind of recognize in that equation that to me that equation only applies to just where an individual is at um but there are many things about my life that I know people from the outside look at and see as tragic that don't feel that way for me and maybe other parts of my life that feel like bigger deals um, that externally does not seem to be the issue. Um, and where my personal comedy is going to come from is going to be what I, what feels strong to me and what feels personal to me, um, as opposed to whatever the, the general idea of tragedy is. Um, and sometimes comedy is just joy. Sometimes comedy is just silliness. <laughs> you know, we also did fart jokes yeah. in <laughs> generally <laughs> hospital. That farts catch every time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think it's interesting that, and you mentioned it a couple times, like the feedback, the sort of direct feedback you'll get from audience uh, with regards to being in a wheelchair, with regards to disability. That how do you feel about that? That the audience sort of targets you. <laughs> I mean, I used to, I I spent a lot of time trying to figure out like a formula for how I could be on stage to get the audience like comfortable with my presence and then 
uh, get them laughing. And it was this formula that involved like saying something off the top, like making a joke about it off the top, then having my wheelchair like do a cool thing and people would be like, oh, cool. And then like if I did and then like just being present in another person's sketch but not being a main character and then being able Mm. to like finally say my piece and have the audience in a place where they were already comfortable with me and um, they had seen other people on stage be comfortable with me. So they got this signal of like, oh, okay, we relate to these people and they relate to her. So maybe mm. she's okay. Um, and I spent so much time thinking about that and fine tuning it um, and talking about it with different directors. And then I got to a point that I just got very resentful of that process <laughs> and was like, wait, why, <laughs> why am I spending all of this time and energy trying to make yeah. myself palatable to an audience, like, why can't I just go on stage? Um, And that came after just being told so many times, you know, well, you have to explain yourself. I was told often, like, people, like, when people see you on stage, it's like seeing an alien on stage, and the audience the whole time is going, like, what is this alien doing on stage? Um, I was here for humans. (laughs) I shall not be naming names. (laughs) (laughs) But... Yeah, that like all just kind of built up and I got to the point of being like, I'm not an alien. (laughs) (laughs) And the longer, to me, I felt like the more I treat myself like I'm an alien, like I'm never going to get to a point of feeling good. I'm just going to feel, I'm never going to get to say what I actually want to say because I'm going to be spending all this time justifying my presence. It's very um, interesting that you that you mention it like that because I know that's like a trick they teach stand-up comedians is like mention that that thing about yourself that is the most sort of noticeable. So if you're like overweight mm-hmm. or whatever, you have to address it right off the bat. Or if you got like a funny sounding voice, whatever. Yeah. So the it. idiots in the crowd can be comfortable with. <laughs> yeah, but that's. Oh, he knows it too. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, woo, thank goodness. <laughs> I thought I had to tell him. <laughs> This saves all kinds of awkward conversations. Wait, wait. Does Ophira know she's in a wheelchair right now? <laughs> well, that's like when people talk to me saying that they're very uncomfortable with the word wheelchair or disability. And they're like, a person who uh, gets um, around with a uh, creed, creed, um, different, dif- different. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> as if like, if they say the word, I'm going to be like, <gasps> What? <laughs> you noticed? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I that thing about stand up like that was the the narrative that I was taught uh throughout everything is very much you say it, you let them know and it puts them at ease and that's sort of a comedy 101 thing and yeah. to me like thinking more about it I'm like that that's operating within this framework of like, there's a normal way to be. And then everyone who deviates from that has to justify it because we're still trying to get seen as default human. Um, And I'm kind of in a place and I'm a, I'm a pretty (laughs) in my art. Like I'm fairly, my comedy is pretty gentle. Um, Overall, I sometimes do satire, um, but mostly I like, you know, sillier things, musical things. Um, and, but that being said, I'm kind of at a place where I'm like, well, if you can't see me as a human, I don't, I don't know why you're here. You know, <laughs> like, I'm not going to spend my time trying to convince you. I'm going to say what I want to say and you can take from it uh, what you will. Right. 
Yeah, I think that stand-up one-on-one thing is like, when you're beginning as a comic, uh, if you're coming up on stage and you're nervous and uncomfortable, that will kill your crowd. So it's like, as long as you're comfortable in yourself and your comedy, you don't have to make others yeah. comfortable. Your, your ability to be comfortable in yourself is the job. Like, you've already done it. And then everyone will catch up to you as soon as, you know, you say a couple words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it's people like, it's, it's like Ophira said, it's like, why isn't this a straight white person or a straight white man talking right now? I need to know. <laughs> What, what's going on? Other people talk? What? No. <laughs> Am I still supposed to listen to her? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that idea, right? That's why I think I got that one review that called it disorienting because yeah. I didn't. I just, I launched in. Yeah. I did an introduction about for the audience, how they could be comfortable um, as part of a relaxed performance. And then I just started the show. Um, I didn't yeah. tell people, this is my disability. This is what it, you know, I just, I just began. And yeah, some people are going to find that disorienting. Um, a couple overall, it seemed like most people didn't. Yeah. Um, but stories, you know, yeah. happening. be present with the, with the narrative instead of focusing so much on like, oh, wait, how? <laughs> Being like, wait, I can't listen to anything until, like, I know everything about this <laughs> this person's perceived difference. I think that person needs a show. <laughs> Everyone needs to figure <laughs> out what's going on there and how can we all avoid it going forward. Fira, <laughs> thank you so much for, for talking to us today. Do, do you feel like, um, you know, you got to, you got to... Yeah, I feel good. I feel wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, so it's an honor to be able to, to get to chat to you for such a for such a nice chunk of time and get to know you a bit more. Nick, uh, do you have any more questions? I'm I'm just so happy you're not an alien. I think that's what we can <laughs> all take away from this. Worried I mean, <laughs> that could you're it be? two mouths that shoot out. <laughs> I've case. been operating on the assumption that I'm not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I'm wrong, if I find out evidence to the contrary, I promise I'll let you know. Okay, good. Well, we'll just change the narrative on that. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> title of the podcast. It'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, Aliens. They don't always kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. They're I mean, advocates. <laughs> you know, be careful, but... <laughs> Um, I'll definitely, I definitely think uh, people should tune into Slumber Parties on Bad Dog TV. So that's on YouTube. I guess you just have to go to YouTube, Bad Dog's YouTube page uh, every other Tuesday, you said, to check out that, that sweet, sweet interview, cuddly sleepover show. That sounds <laughs> delightful. Uh, and just, yeah, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, best of luck. Keep us posted with what, what, what is new that you're creating uh, within, you know, the world this, this new world of online <laughs> content creation that that avoids having to you know get people to breathe and and um, droplet on each other <laughs> speak moistly yes yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> that was an awkward ending uh you get <laughs> with uh with everybody saying struggle on or hashtag struggle on you feel like jumping in on one of those i'm happy to do that yes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's in the contract, Ophir. <laughs> uh, yeah, 
thank you so much. It's been such a delight. Uh, wishing you all the best, you know, going forward with everything. I look forward to see every every new thing that you come up with because I know it's going to be very awesome, very cool. Yay, thank you thank so you. much. Struggle on. Struggle, Struggle on. Struggle on. <laughs> Bye. Oh, Brie, that was a show and a half. Yeah, I, it was because it was actually about a half hour longer than our usual shows. <laughs> there you go, math. <laughs> but that's because uh, we covered so much ground. We talked about so much uh, very... I've got to stop saying interesting. If there's one thing that I noticed when I edit these podcasts is how often I say interesting and how useless of a word that is. Oh, that's And I have to, I've been nodding in agreement. When nobody can see. <laughs> exactly. Nobody can see. Uh, yeah, I feel like there was so much laughter and joy in this episode and even a bunch of it was canceled out because we recorded it on Zoom. But overall, uh, what a great, happy feeling. I think people oh, should- okay. Uh, so you just like, you edit out the chuckles? I didn't edit out. Zoom does because we were chuckling over each other. Oh, okay. Multi-chuckle. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, if you uh, enjoyed the episode, feel free to give us a like on Facebook and uh, follow us on the Twitter and uh, Instagram at StrugglePod. Don't forget to follow Ophira's social media as well. Uh, we'll post that up in the episode so you can be sure to uh, follow and like and subscribe and everything. Mm -hmm. and uh, and watch her show on Bad Dog TV, Slumber Party, every other Tuesday. Cool beans, Brie. Struggle on, Nick. We already said it. We don't have to say it again. Yeah, but everyone else can struggle on, too. Yeah, everybody else. Struggle on. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was easy. Yeah, cool.